So we are now in Parakei of Ramchal, and the Ramchal now what he's going to do is talk about the components of the Bria. Until now he's been talking about who God is, what the Avoida is, what the task of man is, what the purpose of creation is, the whole setup in terms of man, that he's physical, and he's also spiritual, he has a neshama, and so on until now. And um, now he's going to talk about the creation in general, what it's really all about. <coughs> in a certain sense, what's important to know is that the, there are certain essential concepts in this creation. What, what the Persian has created, uh, which is the, the major ideas or the fundamental concepts of what this Bria really is. The first concept, which is very important to understand, and that's really why we have um, what, what's going on in this physical universe, and even in the spiritual, it's the concept of hester, concealment. God has created a reality in which he actually conceals who he is. There is a diminishment of his ha'ora, of his being. That never existed before. Um, <clears throat> Uh, uh, that is a created concept that there actually can be a dimension in which he is concealed. That's called Hester. And therefore the essential concept of the physical world is that it is a place that, that the presence of God can be concealed. That's the first very fundamental idea of creation. It's a place where he can be concealed. The whole creation just the whole creation. Because even at the upper levels, he's also concealed. The difference is, is how much is revealed. But there's always a measure of concealment. That's essential. Uh, the second concept, which is very important, is that the ability to, to raise the levels of haora, presence, and diminish the levels of concealment has been given to man, Jew. The incredible thing about a Jew is that he is actually in control. He can regulate the amount of hester and haora, the amount of concealment of the presence of God, and the amount of illumination of the presence. Yes, every Jew has that power. He doesn't realize that. But every Jew, in terms of his machshava, thinking, dibur speaking, and maisa action, can control a certain aspect of creation and he can regulate the amount of Hester and Haora. That's an incredible power. Uh, Jew is the only one that has that power. No other human being has that power. Certainly no other resident of the Bria, angels or anything, has that power. That's unique power that has been given over to a Jew. Uh, we see that in the Torah where God says to Avraham Avinu, and in you shall be blessed all the nations of the earth. Whoever curses you will be cursed, whoever blesses you will be blessed. What that means is that in you will be blessed because you are the one who is responsible for the presence or the absence of, of God. And therefore the greater the presence is the greater the blessing. The greater the absence is the worse the blessing which is the greater the curse. That's really what it means. Is that Avram Avinu and the Jews of course who are his descendants they have that incredible power 
to increase or decrease the presence or absence. Not that God can be controlled, of course he can, but God voluntarily submits to the acts of the Jew. The Jew does the mitzvahs, the right things, correct? Then God will re-enter creation. If the Jew does the wrong thing in the sense of sins, averis, then God will remove his presence. So the Jew therefore has that awesome power. So what the Bansham did is he created a phenomenon in which he can be present or absent. His presence or absence can be diminished or, uh, or, or uh, promoted. That's called tzimtzum. Tzimtzum simply means to restrict. Okay, to restrict, to contract. So what the Bansham did is he created a phenomenon called tzimtzum which means that there is a phenomenon in which the presence or the absence of God can be either diminished or promoted. That's all it means. Symptom is nothing more than the operation itself. The consequence of that operation is the presence or absence of God. And he gave the power of that symptom, the action, right? He gave it to the Jew. And that's really what the, the, the whole essence of this world is. So, the first essential concept of this world that this world is predicated is the concept called uh, presence or concealment of God. It actually can exist. It's very interesting that it can, you know, that God has allowed himself to be hidden, concealed. The second thing is that he created this operation which does this, Ha'oro Hesta, presence or absence, and that operation is called, or action, is called Tzimtzum, which is incredible. <clears throat> The third thing is that he has given it to man, specifically the Jewish people. They have the dial, awesome power. And of course, uh, if the Jews don't do it, then God doesn't come in. And if they do do it, then they do. <clears throat> and it is up to the Jews, really, ultimately, to restore the original amount of presence of God in the world. And that's called the tikkun, that the universe will be rectified by the presence being completely revealed and everything is restored to what it was, actually in a certain sense, before the uh, creation itself, or actually right after the creation. Uh, and that's really the purpose. Okay. <clears throat> Another fundamental concept is a concept called change. There's no such thing as permanence. Change. Everything is variable, you see. So therefore, what is variable and therefore can change is the presence or absence of God. You know, to us, what's the big deal? You don't realize that's a fundamental um, operation that never existed before. Change. Something can vary. And therefore, the presence or absence of God, not only there can be a presence or absence of God, but there can be a change in that presence or absence. You can actually increase the amount of God, you see. So you're looking at a whole bunch of very critical concepts phenomena that have been created in order to make this Bria run. You see? <clears throat> then another very important concept, these are the fundamental concepts of the whole creation that is so, is so part of the fabric of creation that we don't even look at it. You see? Another very important concept of the Bria, besides presence or absence and change and so on, is the fact that God has introduced period, separation. Because really everything is part of God. There is 
Einer Mavada means besides God there is nothing else. Which means that everything, uh, which means that there is nothing separate from God. That's an illusion. You know, we think we're separate from God. No. At the level of true reality, whatever that is, we are part of God. We are not separate. The fact that we are separated and we think we are separated is an illusion. It really is. It's an illusion that we have been given to think that we are separate from God. Where do we see that? Because we see the Chazal say, that man, right, that a Jew is the Neshama, is really part of God. You see? So really, the, 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 everything is really part of God. It has no individual separation. It has no individual self. But the illusion is, is that we are separate from God. And not only that, what God created, which is a fundamental idea, and this is part of that idea, is called a zulosoi, an other. In the universe of God, there's no thing as an other. There's only God and that's it. And we all are part of that without any consciousness, without any feeling of self. So what God did is he invested, he created the concept called zulosoi, means an other. So now you can actually have many things, each thing thinking that it is separate from God. You see? So this concept called zulosoi, okay, an other, which brings in the concept called period, separation, is all created entities, you see. But at the level of ilum habo, it doesn't, it, it exists but not really. Then ilum habo is a place where you begin to experience a non-zulosoi. You can actually feel yourself as part of God. You see, <clears throat> it's like you have an arm, you know, you don't, when you look at your arm or feel your arm, it's not, it's not something else. You can feel it's part of you, you see. In Oilim Habo is the same concept. You feel part of God as if he, as if he, I should say, you are his arm, not that he's your arm, you see. That's how you feel, that you actually feel, you, you have a separate existence, but you actually feel as if you're his arm. We don't know what that means. It's not comprehensible to us now, you see. Because in Oilim Habo, Oilim Habo is a restoration of the original dimension of reality, or I should say the first dimension of reality, where you actually can feel as if you're part of God, and therefore that He's part of you. That is called Vekas, attachment. That's where it occurs, you see. And that, in many ways, is the whole Tachlis, the whole purpose of the creation. Here is in some way to cognitively, to know um, conceptually that we are really part of God. We're not separate really, you see. And that is the whole concept really in the end of what a mitzvah is. A mitzvah is nothing more than a vehicle which expresses that you believe that besides God there is nothing else. That's what we, a mitzvah is. Because when you do a mitzvah, what you're really doing is testifying, I'm going to do the mitzvah because his will is the only, since he's the only one that exists, his will is the only thing that exists, and therefore I have to do the mitzvah. Not my will. If you do an avera, then what you're really saying is I exist independent of him, and therefore I have an independent will, and therefore I will sin, or I will do whatever I want. You see. 
So really, the whole concept of a mitzvah is that a mitzvah is an opportunity or a vehicle to express the concept that you believe he's the only thing that exists and that re- really you emanate from him. And it is that emanation which you exp- is that uh, <coughs> it, 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 it's that reality that you experience in Olam in the future world. And that's the greatest aspect of reality. And in that reality will be the greatest pleasure known. It's incomprehensible what the pleasure of that is. And so on. Which I had explained a long time ago and so on, you know. But in, 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 in essence, this is basically the fundamental concepts with the Bria. The concept of Ha'or and Hester, that it exists, concealment and, and, um, and uh, presence. The fact that it can change, change is possible. It's not static, you know. The concept of Zulosa, that there's a concept called an other. The fact that there's a concept called Tzimtzum, which is the operation which creates presence or absence. The fact that this has been given to a Jew. And the fact that the essential idea or the essential existential fragment of uh, a concept of this Bria is called period or separation. And it is our job to undo that separation, which is really what happens in Olam Haba. That's a snapshot, use that word, of really what the fundamental idea of all of this really is called. Uh, actually, what's interesting, all this is called one word. It's called Adam, man. See, we are man, but the reason why we're called man is because there was a original man, the spheres, the first set of uh, spheres which create realities, was this concept called Adam Kadmon. And all, everything I've just said was invested in that reality. Uh, so really, that, that's the concept of Adam, man, which we ourselves have. We vary, we feel we're a part and so on. But really, we're really part of God. In any case, this, these are the fundamental you, ideas. Say that again? Say what again? The first entry uh, of the presence of God into the universe is the first reality, I should say, is a reality called Adam Kadmoin, primordial man. That's what it was called. And those are ten forces, which are called spheres. And that's the first reality that God fundamentally creates. But the na- that reality is called Adam, man. And the reason why we're, cr- we're called man is because we resemble, we are a copy of that, or a replica of that ten spheres called Adam. You see, but the concept of Adam is variation or change from diminishment to presence, you see. And that's really what, uh, really who we are. We are nothing more than a reality with a diminished amount of the presence of God. But whatever it is, that this, these are the fundamental concepts of the Bria, you see. And um, uh, God created different realities. Each reality has a less and less feeling of being part of God. Until you get to the physical world where we don't see Him, you know, uh, and we just, we know He is because conceptually we know he is, and so on, but the presence of God is vastly, vastly diminished. You see, okay? Um, What? Yeah, I didn't mention that. Yeah, that's a level below, you know, which is, um, 
um, but in any case um, these are different levels of reality each one is characterized by a diminishment of his presence till you get to the physical world where his presence is fundamentally completely diminished you see but what's interesting about this is that even in this world there's always some type of presence of God you see there is a presence God has never abandoned the world where he's completely concealed even in Sitra? what? even in Sitra? no, Sitra it is that's a place that he's not there you know <clears throat> but, but um, um, what's interesting is uh, if you look at this this way there's always a Mokm Shekhinah there's always a place that the Divine Presence is even in this world. And the place of the Mokam Shekhinah is called the Mokam Migdash. It is the residence of God. You have a Mokam Shekhinah, the place of the Divine Presence, right? And wherever he's at, whatever his location is, is called a Migdash, a residence, the Mokam Migdash, you know? It's interesting, you know? And there are the, the concept of his residences, he has had he has had many, many residences. If you think about that. What was the first residence of God? If you think about that, you know, where he really resided. Tell you an interesting idea. Uh, uh, we know in the base of Mikdash is a halacha that the Kohanim when they serve in the base of Mikdash, they cannot wear shoes. Right? They can't wear shoes. It's a halacha, right? They have to go barefoot. And in the winter it's freezing. The stones are freezing. Very cold, right? Because it's so, basically, this was all stones, right? And stones are freezing, and they actually had to do the avoid of, with freezing feet, you know? So there was a, sp a certain place, chamber, where they could warm up. There was a, a fire going, you know, all the time. And they ran in there to warm up their feet, you know, it's just freezing, you know? Why is that? Because the Shekhinah would be in that place, in the ground. It would emerge and come up from the ground. See, so they had to maintain contact with the ground. It wasn't in the airspace in a certain sense, right? It was the airspace, but the real place was the ground, right? That was the Mok Migdush. And therefore, they had to not wear shoes so they can be connected to the Mokum, the place of Migdush, the residence, the place which God, Shekhinah, resided. You see? So what's interesting, when you find that, uh, the first real reference to that base Amigdash in a certain sense, you know, is by uh, Moshe Rabbeinu in the Sneh, the burning bush. Right? Remember when Moshe went to a burning bush? There was the burning bush, right? And all of a sudden he hears God and God says to him, take your shoes off. It's interesting. Take your shoes off. Wait a minute. Isn't that what the, isn't that what the Kohanim did in the base Amigdash? Yeah. So it came out that the place of the Shekhinah, the place that it resided in, was the Sneh. The Sneh was the Beis Hamikdash first. And therefore, like God said, the place that you have your feet on, that you're standing on, is the place of the Shekhinah. So you had it, what? You didn't make any connection to the burning No, but it was the whole place, the whole area, you know? So he had to take off his shoes, you know? So in a certain sense, the snare is the Beis HaMikdash, the first one, see? And the Roshan was in the bush, which of course 
was not consumed, which means that the presence of God, which is also Yisrael, is never consumed. That's why it never burnt. You know, no matter how much fire, you know, is around that bush, God or the Jewish people can never be eradicated. They can never be consumed. But that the snare is like the equivalent of the Kodesh Kedoshim. Therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu had to take off his shoes. You see. Then later on, the next uh, idea was the was the Mishkan, where he would. Uh, they built the Mishkan, right? And um, as a result of that, the Shechina rested on the, the, the Mishkan, which is the Kodesh Kedoshim. That's where it rested, you see. What's interesting, however, I don't know if people realize that, is that there should not have been a Mishkan, really. There should not have been a Mishkan. Why? Because there's a famous Pasuk that says, We also do Mikdash, and they will make me a Mikdash. V'shochanti b'soycham. In the beginning of Truma, Pasha's Truma, it says, we also do Mikdash, and they should make me a Mikdash, right? Which means a residence where I can reside. V'shochanti, and I will dwell when? B'soycham. Now, it should have said, I, and I will dwell in it. The Mishkan, the Migdosh that they make me. But it doesn't say that. It says, I will dwell in them. And that's a very important concept. Because the Migdosh, the Mokam Shechina, which is the place of the Shechina, resides in the Mokam Migdosh, which is the place of the Migdosh. Right? But where does God really reside? He resides in the Neshama. Yeah. What God initially wanted is not a Mishkan. I don't need that. Because my entry point into the Bria, into the creation, and the place that a Jew can experience me is through your own neshama. You don't need an outside place to go to, to feel me at all. I dwell within you. I dwell in you, you see. And therefore, what God originally intended was that the entry point of God is the neshama, Right? And the place he resides is the Neshama. And therefore, a Jew can experience him in himself. You don't have to go to the base of Mikdash. You see. But the reason why we had a Mishkan is because of the Cheto Egel. Once there was a sin of the golden calf, right? Then what God said is, you have to build me a Mishkan, the Osulu Mikdash, you see, because even though I reside in you, because the neshama is a replica of the shechina, and I reside in you, because you can actually, uh, and I enter through you, but because you sin the, the golden calf, you will not experience me in you. You now have to go to a place to experience me. See, so that in many ways was an oinish, because you don't really need the base hamigdash. Why do we have to go to a place? I ask you. If we're part of God, what do we have to go to a place for? And in the beginning, we didn't. It was with, with man. The neshama itself is the migdash, the Beisam migdash. We don't realize man is the Beisam migdash. The Jew is the Beisam migdash. His neshama is the Beisam migdash. Isn't that interesting? You don't have to go. It was only because of the sin of the golden calf, the Chet Egel, that a person has to leave and go to a place to experience. But what's interesting is that we think, well, we're going to the base of Mikdash right outside, 
And that's where God is. No, God is still within you. Except you cannot experience him except in a place outside you. That's why it says, and they will make me a migdash with the mishkam. But do not think that you have to go to that place because that's where I am. No, I'm still within you. You see? Except to experience me, you have to go to uh, Yushalayim, the base of migdash. The migdash is like catalyst. Well, the catalyst to experience self, yeah. See, that's the mistake people make. You go to Beis HaMikdash, you think you're experiencing something outside of you. You see? That means God is in the Beis HaMikdash. Not really. He's in you. Except you, there's a condition because of the sin of the golden calf that you cannot experience God. You have to go to an outside place. And when you go to that outside place, then that allows you to experience God within you. How exactly does Because you are the Beis HaMikdash. Isn't that interesting? How does that happen? We're walking around. We are really the base of Mikdash. That's really what it is. That's why it says, And my Shekhinah, I will dwell with my Shekhinah, which is the Mokim Mikdash, in you. But because of the Chet Egel, you need to go outside to a place, which is now, of course, Yerushalayim, and you will be able to experience me there. Isn't that interesting? So for the separation. What was that? separation? Yes, because the Jews introduced period, a separation, which means you can no longer experience me inside of you, you can only experience me outside of you because of your sin. Because what a sin does, remember what a sin says? When you sin, you're saying besides God, there's something else. Right? So God said, okay, the chet of the eagle, they denied God in a certain way by accepting the eagle, the golden calf, as a god. So, right? So, what they did is they externalized God. They said, Yeshev Mavadi, besides God, there's something else. So, God's care. Okay, you believe that, that, that besides uh, me, God, there's also you, right? That means you have now made me a Zulosai, an other outside of you. Fine, okay, now you got to go outside to experience me. It's all part of the Cheto Egel, you see. But really, the original structure never changed. It's still within you. That's what God is saying. It's a very important Chiddush. So therefore, the Mishkan is a result of the Cheto Egel, you see. But really, the original Beisai Megdush is man, is the Jew. But that continues, except you have to go outside to experience him. So that's what the Mishkan is, which is the first external Beisai Megdush. Yeah. How does, we, how do we get in touch with ourselves, which is really the Shekhinah, by going to this Mokim? How does that happen? You mean the base of Mikdash? Yeah, when we go to the base of Mikdash, we, we can't happen to what we have within ourselves. We have to go to this Mokim. How does, now by going to this Mokim, how am I now, what are the mechanics? What are the mechanics? So you're going to this place now, so like, like Rabbi said, now you're feeling, really, you're experiencing what's within, within you. you. Yeah. What, what's, what's the Shekhinah? It's Wi-Fi hotspot. It's what? It's a Wi-Fi hotspot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. You can't feel it. So you go to this place and, and like Rabbi said, it's not the mocking itself. It's just... <clears throat> you have to remember one thing. God isn't localized. He's all over. Right? right? So it's not that... It, but So therefore, God exists everywhere. Mole color, it's The earth is filled with the, uh, the presence of God, right? Uh, so it's, if you go to a place where he's anyway at... Right? 
right? He's anyway at, so somehow once you're going to that place where he's anyway at, right? So then the, the Shechina within you and the Shechina outside is really one. So somehow by going to that place and experiencing God, right? So you experience him, him and you because God in you and God out there is really one. The key point to remember is the entry point into the Bria is you, not the outside. So what you're really experiencing is you. You see? But in other words, by experiencing, it's not like God is there and you're here. No, it's really God here and God in you. So, so if you have to go to an outside place where he is, and automatically it's like a continuous ripple within you you feel but the entry point is within you that's really what Navua is what is Navua? Navua prophecy is the ability to experience God right prophecy when a prophet became when a Novi a prophet when he went into what's called a prophetic trance yes he didn't have to go to the base of Migdash how did he do it Yes? He didn't go to the base of Migdash. So then, how is he connecting with God prophetically within himself? And the answer is, because the Shekhinah enters through you. So he's really tapping into the Shekhinah within his Neshama. Because the Neshama is connected to God. You see? He didn't have to go to the base of Migdash. If the Shekhinah was only in the base of Migdash, he would have to go there and sit down and go into a prophetic trance. Yes? Because that's where God is. It didn't have to be that way. So it's possible, which is interesting, that through prophecy, a person was able to experience God within himself. He didn't have to go out, but that required a tremendous amount of training, and he had to machaven shamus, divine names, which is Enoid Mavadoi. So it is possible to sort of like undo the base Amigdash. You didn't have to go to the base of Mikdash. You can actually experience yourself as a base of Mikdash if you went through a certain process. A pro process. It's an it's an unveilment of of the Hester, which like, let's yeah yeah. So it's it's interesting. Prophecy is almost a recap of the original base of Mikdash that's you. You see, where well, you didn't have to go to the base of Mikdash at all. You could just sit down if you if a whole pro, there were whole schools of prophecy. You'd sit down and you would mechaven. You would uh, you would uh, You would meditate on divine names, and those all divine names. It was a whole process. You'd meditate on divine names, Seamus, and and so on and so forth. And all those divine names are nothing more than really expressions of Enid Mavadoi. So therefore, in a certain sense, you were able to undo the requirement that you had to go outside. Now you could reawaken, so to speak, the prophecy, the attachment that you had to God within you, which was the original Veshachanti Besoichom. That's really what prophecy is. You see, unfortunately, we don't have it. So we still have to go outside, you know. So like I say, the first base I make this in, in many ways is the burning bush, the snare, you know. And then after that was the Mishkan, which itself should not have been. And then we had the next one was the Mishkan traveled all over Israel, if you remember that. It was like for 300 and something years, you know, until, until Shlomo Melech built, built the first temple. So then the Mishkan became what? The first temple, right? Then the first temple became the second temple.
right? And where is God today? Where's the third temple? Or I should say two and a half. Where is the Rabbanishim today? Because remember that the Rabbanishim never leaves physical world. Never. So he's somewhere. Where is he? But that somewhere still means that unless you have a Navi where you could tap into your own base of Mikdash, you still have to go where he is. Where is he today? Where? The Kaisel and Mikdash Me'at and the Shuls. I'm not sure which one. Either one. The base of Mikdash today really is the Kaisel. People do not realize the Kaisel is the base of Mikdash. What happened is the Bershom went into Golas, so to speak, right? Uh, you know, it was God went into Golas. He went to exile, which means that he does not allow himself to be who he can be. You see, that exile is a restriction to a certain a voluntary restriction on completely exposing who I am. You see, that's really what Golas is to God. To us, it's persecutions and a lot of other stuff. But to us, to the Bosham, it means that God voluntarily restricts his power and his presence, which he doesn't want to do. He f God feels terrible about what he did. I want to tell you now, you know. Uh, but, uh, but he did it. But the question is, wait a minute. If God is in exile, right, so where is God now? So that means he's no longer in the base of Migdash, but he is. He's by the coastal. The Kaisal Malravi, the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, is the base of Migdash today. It's the classic Shechina that went into exile. So what he did is he moved from the Kodesh Kedoshim to the outer wall, the retaining wall. And that's where he is. That's why when you go to the Kaisal, you are going to the base of Migdash. Interesting. That's really, and that's why if you Zoycha, you can, you can feel a presence. Because he's there, you see. And therefore, because that means God is in Golis. Ultimately, of course, when the, you'll have the third base of Migdash, right? Then, of course, God will go back, so to speak, to the Hamaria, which is the, the rock and so on. And therefore, we, we will then experience, uh, then you'll have a third base of Migdash, you see. But ultimately speaking, really, it's always, the base of Mignesh is always within us. And that's really what we experience. You said that um, yeah. in the time of Mashiach, that if I remember correctly, that you can just close your eyes. You'll be on such a level, you can close your eyes and you'll experience the door. Yeah, that's so because... Why would we need the third base of Mignesh if we have that level of Mashiach? <coughs> <coughs> that's good What? Everybody on the question. You said before originally that if you quote, you're be on such a big level that we won't even have, we will be higher than than the VM were, and that we'll have Nivu almost instantly. We'll be able to close our eyes and have Nivu right away, as opposed to having to do shameless and everything or whatever. However, it'll be, it'll be quicker, it'll be easier, so to speak. So why will we need a third base Hamikdash if we are on that level of Nivu? The interesting thing is that if everybody himself can do Nivu. Why would anybody come to Jerusalem? That's really what you're asking. Yeah. Why would I go? Well, I don't need to go. I stand in uh, Lakewood, right? <clears throat> and just shut my eyes and do what I have to do. Because it says that in, when the Mashiach comes, right? That's the third phase of Mikdash. When the Mashiach comes, for a Jew to tap into Nevoah, 
will be as easy, will be incredibly easy. The old time Nevi'im had a really struggle to get, to connect with God in terms of prophecy. But when God, but when in the time of the Mashiach, the present Kimolo Oritzdeo, the presence of God will be so, will saturate the whole planet, you see? So the real question then is why even bother going to a base of Migdash? You know, that's really what you're asking, and so on, you know? It was an episode in the desert where Joshua was alarmed and he ran to Moses and he said, there's people prophesying in the camp. Yeah, Eldot made that. Was his reaction basically was good. I wish everybody would. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, what, so why do we need a permission? Uh, what, what, I, what I think is the answer is that even when the Mashiach comes, there are differences. There are differences. You have to understand what exactly is the base of Mikdash. What is a person? What is the base of Mikdash? You see? Because it all starts with the spheres, ten spheres. The ten spheres are, is one configuration called the Pautzuf. It's called the configuration. Ten. And that ten is really Odom. A configuration of ten spheres is called an Odom, a man. Okay? It's called a Pautzuf. A Pautzuf means a face, a complete face, which is a complete configuration. Okay? Those ten spheres gives uh, is divided into 613 parts and those spheres create an ashama that also has 613 parts you see and those that neshama resides in a goof right that also has 613 parts yes and therefore the person in a goof in a body has to do 613 mitzvahs one mitzvah connected each part. You, you see the parallels here. It's just a replica. It starts off with the ten spheres, which becomes an ishama, 613 in the spheres. Becomes an ishama, 613 parts, right, of the ishama. Comes into a goof, 613 parts of the body, right? Organs, remember, 248 organs and so on, right? And that gives rise to 613 commandments. And every time you do a commandment, Right, then you open up one part of the body, right, and it opens up one part of the neshama and receives the light of the sphere of that particular part, you see. And so man physically is a replica with his neshama, which is a replica of the ten spheres. The Beis Hamikdash is also a replica, and therefore it has 613 parts. Yeah, it does. The Malbim at the beginning of Ayikra actually describes, he goes through, he shows how the base of Migdis is really an Odom. That's the whole, that was, the name of that configuration is called Odom, an atomic structure. You see? The Malbim at the beginning of Ayikra. That's yeah, a whole Kabbalistic uh, explanation. You see? So the, the base of Migdis is really an Odom, but it's an Odom of the physical universe. But it's really one replica after the other. You see, they're all parallels, you see. <clears throat> so ultimately speaking, <clears throat> when there's a third base Hamikdash, that will be a replica of the world in its Tikkun phase. You see, that's why, because the, the third base Hamikdash is different than the second. It has different dimensions or whatever and so on. Why? Because the base Hamikdash really is a replica of the, the entire 
world outside of man. So therefore the Beis Amikdash Hashlishi that Yecheskel talks about right, will be the exact status of the physical universe right, as reflected in the Beis Amikdash. You see? And, and that's really what it is and so on, you know? Um, but what, what can happen is that there are different stages of Mashiach. There's a Mashiach ben Yosef, you see? Then there's a Mashiach ben David, which is the real Messianic era. But as you go longer and longer, you see, then things change. So maybe it's even possible that the Beis HaMikdash Shlishi will serve as an, as an external in a certain duration of time. But after a certain time, maybe you won't need it. You'll go back to your original 613 parts where you don't need an outside Beis HaMikdash. You so see. you're saying that the time when we'll be able to experience the world like that and the time of the Beis Amikdash are not necessarily the same period of time? Yeah, right? there, are, there are differences in the ability to access the Shekhinah as you get more and more into the Messianic era. So, so you're saying it's not, a, it's not just a, just boom, you're at that level and period, it's a gradual growth and there may be a time mm -hmm. when but for example, let's say people, the greatest people will not really need the basic Mikdash, just like the beam of those times. Yeah. But other people will, and it's just a gradual process until nobody needs it anymore, and then... Yeah, well, yes. The, but the basic Mikdash, remember, is be, there, there, there are several ideas in the basic Mikdash. The first idea of basic Mikdash, right, is that's the resident of God, re residence of God. But remember also, the Beis Amigdash is also a place that you offer sacrifices, korbanas. And in the time of the Mashiach, there will be korbanas. Not chattas, there won't be a chattas anymore, or an asham, right? But there'll basically be shlomim, you see? So, you, you, you know, so you, you, what you do is you, you, so you'll, you'll be able to connect with the Beis Amigdash by offering korbanas. So you still need a Beis Amigdash for that, you see? So in a certain sense, perhaps that's its primary purpose, is to be able to bring korban and shlomim, which is a type of korban, uh, uh, you know, to the base of English. There won't be any more chattas, sin offerings, nobody's sinning, right? There won't be osham, guilt offerings, because nobody's guilty. Because basically, bechira, free will is gone, you know? But there will be uh, shlomim, I'm not sure if there'll be an oila, which is in a certain sense a minor sin offering, but uh, there certainly will be peace offerings and so on, so that you will be able to bring to the base of Migdash. But as to whether you need to go to the base of Migdash to experience God, right, it would seem that you don't. This is what it would seem. You don't have to do that. You will experience everything you need to do within self because the critical concept is man or the Jew is the Beis HaMikdash. That's very interesting. We don't realize how central we are to the creation. And if not for the Cheto Egel, there would be no Beis HaMikdash. Which is interesting. There would be no Mishkan, no Baishvishan, no Baishani, and therefore no Baishlishi. There wouldn't be any. Isn't it interesting? It's amazing when you think about that. And it makes sense, because the Neshama is a direct output of the ten spheres. And that leads to the body, you see? And God just infuses man's Neshama 
And we experience that, the neshama, which we all have, and so on. So why do we need any externals? You see. So this is a, an understanding of the Bria, ultimately, you see, uh, of, of, of the connections that we have in terms of the base Amigdash, the residences, and so on, and the Rabbanish on what the fundamental fabric of the Bria is, the different concepts of Heston, Ha'ora, concealment and presence, you know, what really seems to be going on. Um, and, um, <clears throat> and the Beis Hamikdash reflects our journey in terms of the, prog the teaching <coughs> progression. It reflects our journey, you know? Yeah, yeah, God. There will be no Karbonas then. There will be Karbonas. No, I'm saying, uh, if there was no Hedayegel, there wouldn't be any Karbonas. At least not in the Beis Hamikdash. If there was no chet, oh yeah, that's right, very possible, yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't? Because if there was no chet eagle, the Moshe Rabbeinu would be Mashiach ben Yosef. That's who he really was. He was almost Mashiach ben Yosef, and if there was no chet eagle, Moshe Rabbeinu would have been the Mashiach ben Yosef, and that would have initiated the Messianic era. Exactly, you know. So maybe there would be a best megdish to bring a, a shlomim, you know, because and so on, you know. Uh, but uh, but, but uh, yeah, in that sense, yeah, it, it's right, you know. Without Cheto Egel, you really don't need a Beis Hamikdash. You don't need a Mishkan. You are the Beis Hamikdash, which makes a lot of sense, you know. Where do where do the shuls fit in the in the picture in the picture? Where the shuls fit in? Yeah, Mikdash Me'at. So a lot of people don't even need. Many nowadays don't need to go to shuls that. <laughs> ah, that's why they don't go to shul Because I'm the base of Middash So what they do is, ah, here's what they do You know, they get up in the morning You know, it's very early in the morning and they go to shul. I don't have to go to shul But they all dive in at the coastal, right? They bend over and they pray it against the wall Next to the bed That's the coastal uh, If you think about it There's an interesting Chazal Chazal are always saying That prayer is connected to Kobonus Shachris is the Tomid of Shachris, you know, the Tomid, uh, the Tomid. That prayer, Tfilah, davening, is parallels the uh, Korbanus. Why? Because the base of Migdash is a very interesting place. What the base of Migdash is, is that you go to God's residence, his house, and you connect with him through Korbanus. You see? And there's only three things that you can talk with God about. When you want to dialogue with God through the base of Migdash, there's only three statements that you can make. One, forgive me. I have sinned, forgive me. Right? That's one statement. Right? Um, thank you for what you've given me. So forgive me is the chattas and yosham. Thank you is the shlamim. You know? And then the rest, the Euler or the Korban Tomid and so on, that is, I recognize that you are supreme. That's it. Those are the only three statements you can make in terms of a Korban. Therefore, <clears throat> think about that. When you go to the Beis Hamikdash, the Beis Hamikdash is a place that you can go into God's house, so to speak, right? And you develop a relationship with Him through a Korban and you make these statements. Forgive me. Thank you, I recognize you as a supreme being. Therefore, what Chazal say, right, you need to do the same thing, right? You need to go, right, 
and do the same thing. Forgive me, thank you, and I recognize you. What does that sound like? Davening. There's you see? No space for what? No space for asking? No, no once you say, yeah, no, yeah, well, once you recognize, when you, once you recognize, I recognize you, then you, of course, you throw in, you know, all the other ideas, you know, you can ask him once you say, I recognize you as a supreme, yeah, yeah. That's why a shul, a base kinesis, is the parallel of the base amigdash. You see, where is the residence of God in a shul? By the Oren, the Torah. The Sefer Torah is the Mokmashrina. You see, we come into shul, right, as if we walk into a base amigdash, and we do the same thing. But instead of offering food, you know, right, we offer prayer, which is the parallel to the food. Either we thank God, we ask for forgiveness, we thank Him, right, <clears throat> or we, we recognize you, right? We're really doing the same thing. Except the base amygdala has been replaced by a shul, the oran replaces the kodeshakadoshim, out filus is the korban, making the same statements. That's why a shul is a migdash ma'at. So See, really, you know, it's, you know, it's the, 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 the uh, tefillah really parallels the base amigdash. So it's, that's why it's called the migdash ma'at. Yeah. And that's why it's so terrible when people talk in shul, you know. Because the problem then is, you know, you know it's, they say, um, you know, there's a whole thing to try to uh, stop talking in shul, you know. And so... <coughs> But the, but the the real idea is that you know if they would realize that the shul is a migdash mat is the is the equivalent of a base amigdash, why would anybody talk in the presence of God? Could you imagine visiting a king, you know? And while you're in his presence and you're dialoguing with him, you know, you're busy schmoozing with the other guy, you know that that's like a slap in the face to the king. It's a complete denigration of the value or the importance of that king <coughs> you see because the, the problem is they don't look at shul as a <coughs> mokamigdash they look at it as a social event you know it's an opportunity to schmooze with guys you know but the real concept of a shul it is the equivalent of a base amigdash except instead of the kodesh akadoshim you have the oran the sefer Torah. That represents God, you see. And instead of the kobonus, we offer prayers, tefillahs. And we do the same thing. We, we, it's the same message. Forgive me. Uh, thank you. Or, you know, I recognize you and therefore I can ask you different requests. That it's, it's, so why would, would, would anybody schmooze with a guy if he was in the presence of a king? Of course not. Even, a, even at a press conference with Trump, <coughs> nobody would even like... Of course not. Yeah, of course not. It's an incredible measure of disrespect to the presence of uh, the king, God, that happens. And that's why it's a migdash ma'at. I want to tell you something, but the only food equivalent, right? Because, you know, because uh, if you bring in certain kobanis in the base of migdash, you can actually eat it, right? Because the shlomim you can eat. Chat is the Kohanim meat and so on, but Shlomim, the ba, the uh, one who brings it, can eat it. You know, maybe that's why there's a kiddush. <laughs> the kiddush is the Shlomim that we can all partake of. You know. When you pray with tefillin on, is <coughs> what was that? When you, when you pray and you have tefillin on, 
is your prayers more powerful? Is that what it's doing? Yes, because tefillin is a conduit. It's Seamus. You don't realize that. Tefillin is Seamus. It's divine names and all that. And therefore, it's a conduit of what's called divine energy. It, it brings you closer to God. So when you pray, it actually enhances His presence and your closeness to Him. Yeah, it's a vehicle. Yeah. But you understand, so that's what Migdashmat is. So it's really a base of Migdash. So we do have Shekhinah in Shul as well. Yes. The main, but the main Mokoim is, is very personal. The main, yeah, it's still the yeah, yeah. But but the uh, Mat is is a, is a serves locally as everybody because you can't we can't go to Eretz Israel, you see. So what they what so therefore a shul is an opportunity to have a base hamigdash brought to us with equivalent avodas uh, separate uh, operations. It's really what it is, you know. It's like a mobile base hamigdash if you think about it, you know. And but but if but remember the important to remember is that what we do in a shul is the exact equivalent of what they do in the base of Migdash, except instead of offering an animal, we offer a tefillah. Same thing. And we say the same thing, except they did it with animals. We do it with statements, you know, davening, tefillah. You see, that's really what it's a mobile base of Migdash, and people don't realize that. You see, you know. Uh, so that, that uh, and that's why Chazal uh, enacted that Shachris is against this, to Minchas against that, and so on. Why bother? What does one? What does Shachris have to do with the Korban Tamid? You ever wonder? What was one? And the answer because this is the equivalent of that. It's a it, it's a mobile uh, base of base Amigdash. and therefore what they had to do is give you the same kind of service as you would have in a base Amigdash. So they're not going to tell you to bring the animals into the shul, you know. But they will tell you, Daven Shachris, that's the equivalent of offering uh, a korban. You see? And man, that's why we say korbanus in the morning. If you think about that, you know. Uh, why do we say korbanus in the morning for those who say it? Yeah, why do we say it? Because if you think about it, so some people say because you, have, you should learn Mishnayis and therefore these are Mishnayis. But when you really think about now, after this, because we say Kobonus in the morning, because that's the real, that's the Beis Amigdash, and from Baruch Shoma is now our equivalent. It's setting us up. You know, in other words, what we're really doing is the Beis Amigdash, except it's local and mobile, so now we start with, well, Haidu or Baruch Shoma, but that's why Kobonus are in the morning, before the, the tefillah, you see. So, I think it's somehow, uh, hopefully, it gives you an entire different perspective of the Beis Hamikdash and uh, what the Bria is really all about. Anybody want to hear? You want to hear? Yes. Yeah. Um, like Korbanos, there would be representatives of each Chalik of Christ, so I'll bring in the Korbanos and our mothers yeah. to the city. Why is it by davening? Why do we all have, each have to daven? Well, it could be... We, we, uh, there were representatives because you can't have the whole Jewish people walking to the base of Migdash. I mean, physically, you know, uh, except by the uh, by the Moadim, they they when they went to Oil Regal, you know, but that wasn't practical, you know. Here, uh, you know, we can all pray by ourselves. There's no more uh, tzibur in that sense. No uh, communal uh, offerings. The reason why you had there because 
you know, not every baker, you can't have the whole clients well every day, uh, you know, uh, bring in their own kobanas. So you had to have what's called representation. But here, it's, since it's local, we can do it ourselves. You know, the <coughs> concept of communal. Now you can do it ourselves, you know. Is that it? What? Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Was that like the first Mishkan? Well, you know, if it was really the first Mishkan, they would have to take their shoes off. You see, it, it, it's a presence, but it's not a presence which is called a Migdash. A Migdash is a much more intense presence. So that's why by the snare, he had to take his shoes off. It was the equivalent of a base of Migdash, you know? But, but God can linger in your house. There was a greater intensity in terms of the feeling, but it's not a residence of God the way a Migdash is. There are levels of intensity, you know, or else, uh, yeah. What about Yaakov Avinu by the dream? He was at the same place. Oh, you mean Har Maria? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was sleeping. Oh. Meaning the Shechina wasn't wasn't there yet in, in the full in the full sense. He took off his shoes. I took off his shoes. Was. You're asking already, maybe. So what exactly happened? My Shrubeinu comes down from Har Sinai with the whole Torah. Yeah. He realizes that Chai so um the Chitayga. So, like, how, how did that, how chronologically did that work? If he destroyed, now he destroys the Torah or destroys the Luchais, but um, now, like, like 20% of the Torah went missing, right? No, 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 I, it's a whole... Or, or you have... The Luchais Shainas... What I mean to say, if you didn't, didn't do the Cheta Ego, yeah. then we would have been... We would have the Luchas. We would have the Luchas. We would have been in that um, messianic era. Messianic, and, yeah. Yeah. So, but we wouldn't have had the basement. We wouldn't have the Mishkan. No, you don't need it. You don't need it. So we wouldn't have had any of the Karbanas or anything like. We yeah. Have the Ashram. So then, twenty percent of the Torah that we have today, by Yikra, wouldn't have been in existence. So, wasn't the Torah already written thousand years before the world was even created? But you have to remember that the Torah changes based on the sins of the Jews. The Torah is evolving? It's a, there's a certain amount of oasis in the Torah that represents all the possibilities of human events. If the human event happens this way, so then the Torah will trans conform itself to that, those events. You see? You're saying that the Torah has, the Torah has something to say about any possibility. And when the possibility changes, so this is what the Torah says about this series. Yeah, yeah. Letters. Yeah. They, they, somehow the Torah can be written many different ways. It was like a bowl of letters, and then all of a sudden it just like well, there was a scrambled onto. So and it it, it, it let's it was a bowl of letters, so to speak, and it took its form based on the free will of man, because hmm. that's really what they're doing. They're all free will. So when the Jews decided to do the Chet Egel, the bowl of letters, so to speak, came out. We 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 don't understand how that. How could you create a bowl like that, you know? But somehow the, then the letters re reconfigured itself to describe that event, but that event was up to the Bechir of man, you see? I would, a simple answer would be that God knew the future, so he already had the whole bowl exactly what it would be. I mean, it's not a matter of guessing, he knows exactly what's gonna happen, so he had in that bowl of all letters, 
right? He had all the, you know, prepared because he knew they would choose this. So then it doesn't even have to reconfigure it. It just has to do what God knows, you know? That would be a simple answer. You see? No, there would be Bechira. That's the whole question is, if God knows what you're going to do, then how do we, then how do you have free will? That's an old question. No, 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 but obviously we do have free will. It says, you will choose life, you know. So forget about how does, how does free will exist if God knows what you're going to do. That's a separate question, you know. But God certainly can take advantage of his foreknowledge, you know, and he could have just arranged the whole thing based on what he knows man is going to choose. You know, he's not cheating. <laughs> he knows what's going to be. What was that? Each, each Hebrew letter is, is uh, like an energy unit. It's yeah, like sure. Yeah. Also, a similar so question to what he asked. If Mashiach does come, that's a whole ticket on everything on Mafreya. Like, there be, like as, as if we were massacring the whole um, the Chaita Eagle and everything. So then why do we need the third base Mendesh at all? No, if so that was a question. It's bringing us back to pre-Eagle. It's bringing us back to already before. And now Mashiach is here. So then why do we need the base It's a very similar question to... What this uh, gentleman was asking. Well, because like, so when I answered, you know, first of all, the third base of English is the entire universe in that state of tikkun. So that reflects, that's number one. It, it's, it's the structure of the entire Bria after the tikkun. And the second thing is that it allows us to, interv to uh, uh, intervene and to do the avoida, to bring kobanus. Ultimately, the first base of Mikdash, which would have been the first and last base of Mikdash, would have been, what, however, was configured in a different way. The, what would have been, let, let's say the Yidin we're, we're, um, didn't do the Chayta Eyo. There would be no base of Mikdash. At all, not even the base of Mikdash. I mean, for that, that's a good question. I mean, in order to do the Avoidah, to yeah, interact. Maybe, maybe, maybe what I would say is that the Bay Shlishi would have been built then. That's yeah, what I mean. the bayish, that would correct. Be the first but you wouldn't need a chatas. Right. In the Messianic on the ocean, and a tremendous amount is because of the chatas in the ocean. You know what I'm saying? And the and the oil or whatever. You know, so it could be there would have been a bayish shlishi, so that we can a week of third base amigdash, so that we can interact with that. That's that's very possible. Yeah. And is the sefer Torah one last question? The sefer Torah going to re-change after the Mashiach comes? Will the Sefer Torah change? Uh, will our Torah be diff different in any way? We won't have practice, <coughs> we won't have, we won't have Khatas, we won't have Ashram. So, is like, I mean, are we going to still learn about Khatas and Ashram? Is this still, we can still lean that on by the Bashas I imagine that the Torah will change to reconfigure itself based it on the reality of Tikkun. Yeah. That's called the Orishan, by the way, the Messianic light. Mashiach reveals a light which is unheard of today. We, you, know, you know what I'm saying? The Luchas Rishonis was the messianic light. You see, that was shattered, right? And it revealed the Torah that's now necessary to do the Tikkun. So when the Tikkun will have been done, so probably is the Torah will now reveal itself in a different way to reflect uh, the, the, all the Ma'iris, uh, the, uh, all the spheres that has now been rectified. Yeah, that will probably change. But remember, it's not that it will change, become a new Torah. You know, the, 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 the real roots of what the Torah really is, and that it could shape in any which way, it'll just go back to it, what it was in terms of its root form, you see.
I mean, if you remember, there was a medrash where the Malachim said to Moshe, they said, why do you want to give the Torah to Jewish people? We want it. So what do you mean we want it? They don't, Moshe said, you know, do you, uh, you don't have, uh, what do you call it, fathers and mothers and keep it of aim? So then what in the world were they talking about? You see? And the answer is that the Torah, right, at the level of its greatest uh, manifestation, right, is generic. In other words, there's some type of a spiritual reality that conforms to Kibbutzova aim. We don't know what that is. So they wanted to study the Torah at its original level of, of spirituality, which is not Kibbutzova aim. In other words, if the Torah becomes, if, the, if that sphere becomes configured in a physical way, lo and behold, becomes a mitzvah called Kibbutzova aim. But if you go back into its spiritual uh, shape or identity, it's not keep it over aim, and that's what they wanted to study. My kids are on that level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, but we do know some certain mitzvahs that came down. Um, we do know some certain mitzvahs that did come down um, bef- before the Yidden actually did the Chetirego. For example, the, the what was written on the Luches. So why would Hashem, I mean, why would Hashem need to tell us don't serve other gods? There's no Yitzhar to serve other gods because we're in the Messianic era right now. We were taken out of No, the there was not in the Messianic era. It could have been. Moshe Rabbeinu could have been the Mashiach bin Yosef. Wasn't. But we, were, almost, we, were leading, we were leading into it. Yeah, but that's so what? Leading into it, we've been leading into it many times. Doesn't, you know, no, Moshe Rabbeinu was a candidate to Mashiach bin Yosef. He wasn't the Mashiach bin Yosef. Because it never happened. What was missing? The Chetu Egel. What was missing between the Torah, was, after the Torah was given, what steps was missing for Moshe to become Mashiach? Oh, that they should pass the Nisoyen of Chetu Egel. That was missing. That was the last test. I'm saying, had they passed that test, we would have had, don't serve other it, gods. What, what would that have to do? No, with so then, don't serve other gods would have been its spiritual root. Well, like it's the same thing, you know. The Lucas were given before were, were reconformed. Yeah, just like you know, uh, the Lucas were given before the Chet Egel, right? Moshe Rabbeinu went up, right, and in the fortieth day when he was supposed to come down, he came down late. So we would have, we would, we still, still have Shabbos, right? The Shabbos is, is a, it has nothing. The Shabbos, Shabbos is really it would like have been the speech. spiritual form of Shabbos. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't have, we would have a different type of Shabbos we have today? Whatever it is, there would be a different spiritual form and of Shabbos. A spiritual form of Shabbos, and yeah. then therefore there's no such thing as being Michal Shabbos, or by mistake being Michal Shabbos. Yeah, because there's no, that, that, but we don't know what that form is. Right, I mean, the Malachim knew, they wanted to study it. They wanted to study two at the level of the spheres. That's really what it is. Not at the level of mitzvahs. You see, because behind each mitzvah is a spherus, is a whole configuration of spheres. We don't know what that is. You see, so they wanted to study because the malachim were they're not here. You know, they want to study the, the, the Torah at the level of spheres. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. We don't know what that is. You know, and so on. But we okay. Affect those higher levels. We don't know what we're doing. We affect them. Oh, yeah. Correct. Yeah, we have to undo, sure, the damage that was done to those high levels. Sure. Yeah.